You're listening to Strip Search with Dave London and Pete Chianka, the Wicked Local podcast about comic strips of the past, present, and future, featuring interviews with some of the best cartoonists working today. And now here's your hosts, Dave and Pete. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Strip Search podcast. I'm Pete Chianka. I am here with Dave London. Hello, Dave. Hey, Pete. Uh, we're very excited about this. We are uh, comic strip aficionados from uh, from way back and have even uh, partook of the craft ourselves uh, here and there. Uh, well, maybe I'll let you get started, Dave. Talk a little bit about uh, your background and where you're from. What makes you a comic strip expert? Uh, well, I don't know if I'm an expert, but I am a cartoonist. I So uh, back when I was a kid, I used to take all the comics from the comic pages and from comic books, and I used to draw them. I used to use things like Beetle Bailey and um, Snoopy and Peanuts characters, and I would literally draw them. I've always been able to draw. And so when I got older, I started t- teaching myself. I've always been self-taught. I learned how to draw cartoons, and eventually I figured out how to try to make some money out of it, and I started doing uh, editorial illustration and gag cartoons as well as uh, comic strips. And people paid you cash money for that. They actually did. Yeah, usually in the form of a check, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Now, I, on the other hand, have no drawing ability whatsoever, Um, although I did have always loved comic strips from a young age, and uh, I feel like they helped shape my sense of humor. Um, that I've put into uh, into play as a writer and as a columnist um, for Gatehouse Media and other publications. But since uh, I can't draw, uh, I have found a willing partner in Dave, and we work to, has worked together on some strips um, over the years with me as writer and Dave as artist. And we have because um, we tried it the other way around, and it was just terrible. <laughs> it didn't didn't work <laughs> at all. That was really bad, and. Um, so, and we're working on one right now called Pet Peeves, which is distributed through the More Content Now um, Syndicate. And, um, you know, we, uh, we do three of those a week. And uh, it's about, how, how would you describe Pet Peeves? Uh, I would say it's a, uh, it, well, it's about a family of animals. It's an anthropomorphic comic strip, which it started out as humans originally. It went through various iterations. We can talk about that. But now it's, it's animals because I've always liked drawing animals. And so. It's a lot more fun yeah. to have animals. They don't act like animals. No, no. They're, pe- they're people in animal form. So the, the main family, the Peeves family, yep. are dogs, a mother, father, son, and daughter. So how old are the kids? Um, I think we figured they're approximately uh, fifth grade for the son and eighth grade for the daughter. They, uh, for now, will remain uh, preserved at those ages until right. such time as we determine they should get a little older. And so we have some, uh, you know, some other characters who appear here and there, but it's focused on the family as well as some pop culture humor involved as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, you can find that at PetPeevesComic.com if you're interested in checking that out. Um, but in the meantime, and I should mention, Dave and I go way back. We went to college together back at Tufts University back in 19... <laughs> before the, 20, before the uh, 2000s. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yes, it was, it was some time ago. And um, we did uh, some, uh, not a strip per se, but uh, comedy... Um, it was a pay. We had a newspaper, a weekly newspaper. We can promote this, right? Weekly newspaper at Tufts called The Observer. And right. the last page of it, the broadsheet, was called The Etcetera Page. And that was what, uh, what we put together, a lot of good satire and, uh, and drawing. And, it was, uh, and Dave has, he tells me he saved them all. Every single one. <laughs> I have, all, I think, about 50 to 60 uh, sheets. So someday we will publish those 
uh, and distribute them to our fan club. <laughs> Both of you. Uh, so uh, we want to talk a little bit about before we get started on, uh, you know, so when we grew up uh, in the uh, 80s and the 70s when we were quite young, um, comic strips were really a part of the culture that and I, I don't think they are today. Um, you know, just they were really part of the, the consciousness. Um, you know, everybody read Calvin and Hobbes and Doonesbury and, you know, the, some of the, um, the great strips of that. Well, it was the morning routine. You would open the paper and there would be the, the strips in that morning. And then on Sunday, you had the, the color. Yeah, I mean, and going back, you know, you could go back to the 30s and 40s when page upon page of huge color color drawings, you know, and that was pre-TV, so people were really desperate for entertainment <laughs> then. Um, but even, you know, when, uh, when we were growing up um, in the 80s, it was still, you know, I think it, it achieved a new level of sophistication, um, and, you know, it was just uh, f- so funny. So, and it's really hard to be that funny in that small a space. I think that's what people don't necessarily appreciate. Every day. Uh, I mean, doing a daily strip, certainly. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to, to talk about it, because we, uh, you know, because it meant so much to us growing up, and we think, uh, you know, there, there, are, there are elements of that still today, although it's, it's with just like all of media, so fractured, so many places, different places you could get... Um, you know, everything, um, and newspapers, uh, you know, struggling as they are. And I know because I've been involved in that <laughs> industry for most of my adult life. Um, it, you know, it, it's an interesting time to look at the future of the, of the comic strip and where it's going to go. Um, so when we come back, uh, Dave and I are going to talk about our top five comic strips, and we're going to have a very special guest, uh, Mr. Marty Riskin, a very popular local cartoonist. So uh, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. We are back, um, and we are going to talk about our favorite comic strips. Now, Dave, would you like to go first, or would you like me to list off mine? Uh, well, I was thinking, should we do, go back and forth? Back so rather and- than um, give each uh, of us giving the five. So I was thinking about this, because Pete and I had talked about this, and uh, so we had to think ahead of time. And um, I, So my, my initial one, the one that jumps out at the forefront of my all-time absolute favorite, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, Calvin and Hobbes, to me, is the... Best cartoon strip ever. Ding, 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 ding. That is also on the top of my <laughs> list. And he was a rare, uh, rare talent. I mean, you know, and the fact that uh, he could be so literary and so clever um, and really, you know, hit all the, you know, uh, uh, emotional, um, you know, the, it, it just, it's just even hard to describe what he was able to do with the form. Well, I mean, Bill and, Watterson. and something that goes to it. First of all, he both has the writing ability and the art ability that uh, of just a fantastic uh, uh, on both sides. But my kids love Calvin and Hobbes. I mean, they didn't grow up with Calvin and Hobbes, mm-hmm. but they read through my, my compilations. And so this is somebody who can t- stand the test of time. Oh, absolutely. And I think he made it a point to make it universal in that way. You know, unlike some of the, the, strips of of that time um at least one or two which we'll probably talk about right now you know that had a lot of references to what was going on uh in the culture and the pop culture of the day calvin and Hobbes stands sort of outside of time right you know and uh between that and just the the phenomenal you know sort of cinematic artwork and the fact that he sort of left when he was on top of his game and never looked back is kind of adds to the mystique did not jump the shark did not 
Did not. And never, you know, never sold. I think he sold calendars. I think that's the only thing he ever marketed his characters Calendars on. and compilation books. That is it. He, he refused, as far as I understand, he refused to uh, merchandise his materials. He could have been a gazillionaire yep. if he had done that. Right. So those, all those peeing Calvin t-shirts you see. Copyright violations. He is not getting a penny from no, those. So no, those do, are stolen. Yes. So, and so take that off your truck. You know who you are. Um, so, yes, we are, we are absolutely agreed. Um, shall I name my, my number two? Go for it. Um, so I, I, this one get, goes a little older, but I feel like it has had such an impact on, like I, you know, I mentioned before, on my sense of humor, on my outlook on life. Um, that's Peanuts. It has to be on the has top to list, be on right? there. Has to be on there. I think every single cartoonist or cartooning aficionado, you know, bows down to Charles Schultz. Yeah, um, and it's interesting. I have my my Peanuts calendar, uh, Peanuts a day, and I pull it pull it off, and it still strikes me today. Um, I, I think so many people remember, you know, they think of the the TV specials, which were great. Um, but I think it really missed um, it misses something where you can't hear Snoopy's thoughts. He had some of the most clever lines uh, that Schultz wrote, um, and he's an adorable animated character. But um, the you know he he's not a nice dog, <laughs> you know <laughs> he doesn't know Charlie Brown's name. Yeah. He's that brown-headed kid who gives him his dinner. I mean, it was sort of subversive. It was. That's where the humor comes from. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and that is one. If you go back, you you actually now, of course, can buy the whole uh, complete Peanuts and volumes from the fifties to to today. Um, and even even but even some of the other um collections i mean it's just such a great uh um experience to sort of relive those and i so when i go back and read them i'm remembering reading them the first time around you know when i was just starting to read it's one of the first things i remember um sitting down with and 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 reading so that has to be on my list so um you know i was thinking about it and i i actually i kind of knew you were going to put peanuts on your (laughs) list so i sort of like um thought of five others because i wanted to have others to talk about but one that is probably on your list, I'm guessing, but this goes back to what was current at the time, but Bloom County, Bloom, all, all time great. Absolutely. Um, and that, yeah, that fits right into what I was talking about before. It's so of the time. Uh, he, he spoofed, you know, whatever was in the headlines, whatever was the pop culture, you know, that's, that's uh, Burke Brethed. Did Burke I pronounce Bre- his name right? Berkeley Brethed, yeah. I, I believe. And you know what's interesting, and this maybe is from more of the art standpoint than the uh, writing standpoint, which you can certainly talk about writing, but over time, his art changed, and something as, as technical as his lettering of his words changed over time. That may be something that you know the artists out there will notice more so, but uh, he, he definitely evolved over time, and he, his strip went through different iterations, from Bloom County to, to Opus to Outland. Yep, and, and I mean, you look at the early ones, and they definitely... Um you know, he was a, you know, taking sort of the Doomsbury, Doomsbury template. Um, oh, I think it was accused of, yeah, just, <laughs> just yeah, lifting. Yeah, <laughs> but, it, but it really became his, his own thing. Um, and later, of course, he got into paintings and, you know, I mean, he just, re- you know, he became, um, you know, when he only had to do it once a week, it became a lot more sophisticated. He still do. He, he started it up again. And that's, a, you know, and that is interesting. And he, I, I think uh, another, you know, um, sort of unanticipated side product of the Trump era, he was moved to sort of go back to the drawing board and start a Facebook-only um, version of Bloom County, going back to the original characters and the original setting. And it is, it's, it's good. It, it's, you know, it, it's not quite um, the same magic, you might mm-hmm. say, at the time. But I actually bought the, um, the compilation book, 
and I enjoyed them more reading them in that yeah. format than I do reading okay. them on online every day. Uh, maybe it's just the uh, the traditionalist in me. I, I have not read them in sequence like that, but that'll be interesting to compare it. So. Yeah. All right. So uh, okay. So now, what's your next trip? Okay. What else do I have here? Well, I just mentioned it, so I'll bring it up. Doonesbury. I remember as as a kid not having any idea what that strip was about. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I read Beetle Bailey. And hang of the horrible, and I get to do it was like what? It's all these words, you know. A lot it, of words. It, yeah, a lot of words, and it meant absolutely nothing to me. And just as I, you know, and I just remember one day it clicked. <laughs> I had gotten, I had finally gotten old enough that I could understand uh, the political humor and the, um, you know, sort of the the nuances of of what Gary Trudeau was doing. And then he went on hiatus. We did. Yeah. Um, that was, I think he was doing his Broadway show or something like that. And I was like, I just, what? I just got into Dewsbury. But of course he came back and, um, and that, you know, in terms of taking on world events and, you know, it's such a sprawling world he's created. Well, there. I mean, that, I mean that, you know, it was mostly on the editorial page and a lot of newspapers, you know, it wasn't on the comics page because he, he, in fact, I, he won the Pulitzer prize for editorial. Uh, cartooning, right? Didn't he? Uh... I think you were right about that. It, yeah, it definitely. It's it's an issues oriented comic strip, and really, a, you know, one of a kind. You know, I think, you know, there might have been some some old strips back in the day that that had a political bent, but um, you know, and his, you know, and he, as a result of of being on the editorial page, would deal. You know, he dealt with abortion in a very famous um, series that was banned by a lot of newspapers, and and you know, just just a ton of topics that. Are just so hard to to tackle in that format. He, he predicted the Trump presidency. He it wasn't twenty or thirty years ago. He had Trump running for president. He did. He did. Um, you know. So let's blame him. Um, <laughs> By the way, while we're on Gary Trudeau, I think we have to talk about how we invited him to our party. Oh, that's right. Well, we so. should mention. So when we were at Tufts, the um, the chaplain of the university, um, Scotty McLennan. Scotty McLennan had been. Um, uh, a a uh, friend of roommate. Tr- he was one of his roommates right, at Yale. Right, right, and is the basis for a character in Reverend Doonesbury. Scott. So Scotty Sloan in Doonesbury was an amalgamation of a couple of different real people. One of them was Scotty McClendon, Trudeau's roommate, who was the chaplain at Tufts when we were there. The um, he's not still there. He'd moved on, but yeah, yeah. Actually, it wasn't the chaplain because there was right, uh, there were there were a few different uh, denominations. Denominations. But right. He was yeah. Yeah, he wasn't Jewish. Well, yeah, no. <laughs> we have it narrowed yeah. down to that. Uh, yeah. But we were, you know, aspiring comic strip artists and writers, and so we decided, you know, he's right here. Let's go, you know, have a chat with him. And he was nice enough to have us come in, and we brought some of oh, our. Scotty was great. He was yeah. very welcoming. And we we brought some of our our samples, and he and he said, uh, you know, this reminds me of of my friend uh, Gary's work. And we said, oh, that's why we wanted to come see you. He's like. Let me call him and see uh, see if he could give me some advice. And of yeah. course, we as we're sitting there, he called Gary Trudeau, and we panicked. Yeah. We just panicked. It was like yeah, we, we, you know, you see him like on TV. You see the one sided conversation, Gary. Yeah, yeah, it's Scotty. <laughs> you know, you, you, you the blood drained out of our face. It's yeah. like suddenly everything we had with us was just horrible. Yeah. It's like the worst. We became garbage. Like Ted <laughs> you know, that anybody, you know, and he's not even there. So like, you know, they did a video chat like there. He couldn't see it, but right, we, yeah. we felt the, the uh, you know, it, it would just be immediately apparent that we were pretenders. Yeah. But but ultimately, so what happened was we, we sent a package of our materials to Gary Trudeau through Scotty. And uh, Mr. Trudeau is nice enough to respond to us. I still have his correspondence. He sent us a nice letter uh, to the effect of um, basically just, you know, keep plugging away. Um, so, uh, but the, the best part about that was we had his home address. So we had a... <laughs> 
<laughs> we had a party at one point after graduation, and uh, we li- were living in New York at the time, and we decided to send him an invite. Yeah, so, and uh, he, here's the the shocker. He, he didn't, didn't come. He, no, he didn't come. <laughs> Did not but come. That's all right. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. All right, I have one more, and uh, it might be the same as yours. What else do you have on the list? Well, I had two others, right, because I only have three so far that I've given you, so okay. I have to go with two others. So, well, one of mine is the far side. Is that, is that in yours? That's it. That's <laughs> my number five. Okay. So, um, and then I'll give you my last one. So I actually went modern for it because out of, out of um, the ones that I, I currently, out of strips that I appreciate, we'll, we'll put aside panels for the moment because there's some other panels uh, certainly currently, but I, I think uh, Pearls Before Swine, which is one of the uh, modern ones, it's been around, actually it's uh, probably closing in on 16 years now, but uh, I, I, I love that strip. Yeah, of all the ones running now, I'd put that at the top of my list too. I mean, it's it's just, uh, you know, it, it's uh, bizarre and, and uh, edgy and funny. Yeah. Um, Laugh out loud funny. Yeah, he's he's definitely gotten, tell me, remind me his name. Stephen Pas- or Stefan Pastas. Yes, yes, I would mispronounce his first name. Um, and he's, you know, I, I think, um, it, it, you know, and you had mentioned the far side in terms of, um, you know, and it's very different, obviously, because it has characters and, a, and stories, but it is sort of that wild, you know, wacky uh, world outlook that Gary Larson had, I think, influenced a lot of cartoonists. And, and I've been looking at, at some of his work recently, Larson's. I think he'd have been run out of town on a rail with some yeah. of the, I mean, he, you know, mass shootings <laughs> and I mean, people are dropping dead left and right. His, I mean, they they talk about subversive, <laughs> um, but hilarious, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. I mean, I, I just remember the compilations, just reading them and just, just laughing out loud. I mean, I can't go to one of those, um, you know, scenic overlooks without remembering <laughs> the one where the uh, Overeaters Anonymous are taking the group picture and you just see the, the cliff breaking off of them. What about the, the one with the, they're the two deers um, and then uh, the, the shooters, you know, aiming for one of the deers and the, his, <laughs> and the deer has this target uh, sort of like, it almost looks like a tattoo on his chest and the other deer goes to him, bummer of a birthmark hell. <laughs> oh, it is a classic. It is a classic. And a lot of, I mean, if you look at the panels today, I feel like a lot of them do... Um, uh, owe a lot to Larson. I mean, they clearly are are you know trying to be the next far side, and um, you know I, I will give a plug to um, a colleague of ours who we hope to have on, on the show, Mark Parisi, who does off the off mark. The mark. I, I I think I've thought for years it was the sort of um, logical uh, you know next step past Absolutely. far side. One of the best ones out there. It's been thirty years, I think he's been doing it. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. He's he's a an elder statesman now. Um, in, in the industry. Um, so I think, yeah, so that gives you, I think, an idea of where Dave and I are coming from in terms of our, um, you know, what we like and, uh, you know, what we uh, consider to be be among the best. But there's tons that we haven't talked about yet. And there's... Um, if, if only we had a second or third show to look forward to when we can talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we're going to do now is uh, take a little break, and uh, as soon as we get back, we're going to sit down with uh, one of our favorite local cartoonists, Mr. Marty Riskin. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Strip Search podcast, the very first episode, and we have with us now our very first guest, um, Mr. Marty Riskin, the um, People of the North Shore know his work very well. He's been an editorial cartoonist for some of the local papers here, including the Marblehead Reporter, for many years. Um, and you also know him from uh, books and publications and uh, a myriad other 
artistic efforts he's uh, contributed over the years. So hello, Marty. How you doing, Peter? I'm all right. I'm all right. Welcome, welcome to our uh, very first episode. This is amazing. It really is. It is. Yeah. It is. Wouldn't you agree, Dave? I always think what you do is amazing, Pete. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's why I keep you around. Um, so we wanted to talk to you, Marty, about, um, you know, just you've been around for a long time. You've oh, done, I sure have. You've done, you know, so many different different types of, of art. You know, it goes so far beyond cartooning. But talk a little bit just sort of about how you got started and when you realized, hey, this cartooning thing is something I'd, I'd really like to give a go. Okay. Um, this all kind of started. Uh, I was doing work for a uh, company that was uh, involved in uh, doing, remember the Playboy puzzles, you know, that came in a can. Well, our mothers didn't let us uh, look oh, at those. I understand that, right. But they used to have a Playmate of the Month. And one, um, they, they approached me and said they wanted to do a spoof of the Playboy puzzle in a can. They wanted to put a, well, they didn't say ugly, but they wanted a kind of a interesting woman, you know, sort of a character she should be probably a little bit overweight or you know whatever um in any case um they produced this thing called uh, uh this gal called bridget i don't know if you ever anybody remembers that but it was um she posed for a, a lot of books and she was a very charming young lady and uh, we they and they were very successful i mean she developed a cult in new york and the whole thing sort of took off and they wanted to do a book about it, you know, like Bridget's basic uh, organic cookbook, I think that's the way it started. <laughs> so they said, hey, Marty, uh, come on in and uh, you just kind of design the book and we'll do some illustrations in it and we'll, there'll be a lot of pictures of her. And that's how it started, you know. And uh, so we started doing books and I uh, ended up doing well over 250 books, you know. Wow. And every kind of imaginable subject that you could possibly imagine you know we covered um just about everything you know <laughs> but there were you know you know you were over 30 and over, over well 40. i feel like after I, I met you and we and we had talked about some of the things you've done i feel like suddenly every book i'd ever seen when i walked into spencer's gifts exactly you, you yeah. had illustrated i was there yeah, it was that was amazing <laughs> it was so that started me off in the book business and i was um, I was at it for quite a few years, maybe 10 or 15 years, you know, until uh, other companies started get wind of that and they started producing books and uh, we sort of got priced out of the market, so to speak. But uh, Now, did you work with writers on those books or did you mostly come up with it? The, yeah, the they were writers, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I wrote a few of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and a couple of them really kind of were kind of successful. Did one know? involve farting? That's a, that I seem uh, to remember a whole, that. There was a. <laughs> that we started out with a fart book, you know, the fart book. That was the first the, one. That's our the you know, fart the article, book. yeah. And ended up with a. We did three of them, I think, and the third one was called the uh, Fart Trilogy, and we covered just about every <laughs> fart that you could possibly imagine. And it was a lot of fun. You know, we used to get together, and there would be each book. Had took about sixty four illustrations, and uh, we would discuss, you know, the ideas for each one of them, and uh, what the illustration was going to be, and, and then they would just sort of pat me on the rear end and send me <laughs> home, and I would just illustrate them, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's that's how it started, and uh, and I'm kind of still doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. We try to um, we try to get the books restarted again, you know bring them up to date and 
uh, but uh, it didn't work. So <laughs> it's a different demographic. Some now. some things are of a time, I guess. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> and when did you first get start getting into the editorial cartooning? Well, that's well uh, after the books collapsed, the book market <laughs> collapsed. Uh, I was uh, like out of work. You know, I was uh, it was got pretty desperate. So I walked one. I just had this idea that uh, maybe maybe a newspaper would. Uh, consider having a you know sort of a local cartoon so i walked into the marblehead reporter um and uh spoke to the editor and she said all right we'll give it a chance we'll give it a shot one time you know so i did this cartoon it was a couple of dogs trying to get into a uh, uh, uh the town meeting i think it was <laughs> i still have that original cartoon but uh, um in any case uh, there was a reaction. There was a pretty good reaction. And they said, well, we'll try it. Let's try it for a month. And off we went. <laughs> that grew. I did a mailing after that. I mailed to several, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 different newspapers. Got a few responses and built it up to about 25 newspapers all over eastern Massachusetts, mm -hmm. up in New Hampshire and Maine and I was a busy boy, busy, busy boy. <laughs> and were you doing at that time local local cartoons for each of those papers? Each cartoon was uh, unique to the particular town. Wow. I would go out and get photographs of the coffee shops and the library, you know, whatever, you, you know. You were the opposite of a syndicated cartoonist. Absolutely. You, made, you drew opposite. to order. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, right. Were these weeklies? Some were weekly, some, uh, mostly weeklies. I would say probably 90% of them were weeklies. Thank heaven, you know. <laughs> you crank out 25 cartoons a, a week, and, you know, it, it takes a bit of doing. But I enjoyed it, and uh, uh, there were all kinds of, you know, things go on. And the, the, sort of the, um, the newspaper business was moving into a kind of a local thing, you know, where people were sort of abandoning the globe and... Uh, uh, you know, the big major papers, and they were much more interested in local issues. And for a while, it was, you know, it was a very popular uh, thing, and a lot of newspapers took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I've seen it, you know, being being in this industry, when we've been fortunate enough to be able to run run your cartoons and other local cartoons, I mean, it really makes such a huge difference, you know, and, and it's so sad now how many uh, papers... Um, you know the dailies included. Uh, they don't. You know it used to be you had a staff cartoonist. You know, do, has, yeah, do, a lot of came yeah. into work and sat Absolutely, at a desk, and that's sure. what they did. Yeah. Um, and no, and no more. They're you know almost it's all, all free gone. Months. It's all gone. Yeah, yeah, it's just too bad. You know, I still do the Marblehead paper, and occasionally you know maybe a Swampscott paper or something like that. But for the most part, they're gone. You know, so I had to reinvent myself a lot like the tenth time. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm a survivor. And now you're teaching? I'm teaching like uh, almost every day now. You know, I teach oil painting and uh, uh, drawing and things like that. And I also do, I still, I'm still not illustrating, do book covers and things like that. So kind of jumped over this, but are you self-taught? Did you take classes when you were younger? How'd you learn how to draw? Well, I kind of started on the kitchen floor, I think, is where I started. Uh, my... Uh, grandparents had a butter and egg store in east boston and uh they had these big sheets of uh wrapping paper i guess and i would take a big sheet of that lay on the floor and, um this was also like during the 40s where you had superman and batman and um you had the german soldiers and airplanes and 
fights, and, you know, uh, air fights and things, and I would draw these things, you know, these little stick figures. And right around that time, I my first comic strip came to pass. The character was uh, a guy called Simpleton the Shrimp, and it was totally awful. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know it at the time. Now, you, you've got a... Um Another comic strip in the works right now, isn't that right? I do, I do. Um, and this is kind of an interesting one. It's um, um, it's kind of about me, you know. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, the demographic is people 60, 70, and 80. And I don't think there are Your typical couple... newspaper reader, in other absolutely, words. Absolutely, yes. absolutely, right. And, you know, people get together in coffee shops today, you know, some of these... Uh, old soldiers get involved in that, you know, like, and I do. I, I go, every morning I go to the particular coffee shop, and there were a bunch of characters there. And I said, you know, maybe there's a strip here. But uh, the difficulty with that is, first of all, um, strips are the most difficult thing in the world for an illustrator or a cartoonist to do. Mm-hmm. Because, number one, you've got to be a bit of a jokester. You've got to be a comedian, don't you? You got to be a choreographer. You know there are there are panels to be involved, yep. and you kind of move along. Uh, and how do you choreograph the thing? And then you got to get the punchline in the last cartoon. You know, in the last block. And uh, so you got to be a bit of a storyteller, a bit of an observer of the of lifestyle. You got to be very aware, and and then you got to make it as simple as possible because you're constantly drawing. The character, you know, he's got to be simple, you know, like I'm somebody like Dilbert, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, Dilbert, you know, he's the simplest guy you can imagine. He's got the little curly locks, and <laughs> but it's easy to do time and time and time again, so he can't be too complex. And that's the first part, you know, designing a character and making the character, you know, like a Peanuts or a... We once did one about you, Peter. Do you remember? They did. Pe- I was I was, por- nuts, I was portrayed as uh, Charlie Brown with a goatee. That's right, and we called you Pete Nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and I still have that piece of art. Oh, great. So, Marty, a question I always like to ask any cartoonist: What tools do you use? Tools that mean like pens and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. What do you use to uh, I know, use, pens, uh, electronic, anything? A unigraphic. You know, one of these rollerball kind of pens, you know, that's indelible. And uh, they have to be able to take a little water. Sometimes you use washers and things like that. But primarily, I go through pens like, I don't know, I probably go through a package a week. Really, seriously. They're, you know, so I'm always doing, and I also do a lot of artwork with, you know, illustrations. With, that, you know, a lot of pen work. Have you thought about uh, trying uh, any of the newfangled electronic media? I'm I'm a dinosaur, you know. Uh, I want to desperately, but uh, people who are 20 years younger than me tell me to stay the hell away from it. <laughs> and you know, there are people who can you can do that, but I haven't ventured into it. You know, and my 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 knowledge and ability in that, but um, in that particular area are is uh, nil basically. I wanted to ask us. We don't. We only have a couple of minutes left. But um, something that I'll always remember from our time working together um, was September 11th. Oh and, yeah. And oh, you sure. did one of the um, the very first cartoons that I, I recall even seeing mm-hmm. after after what happened that day. 
Um, and it got an amazing response. Maybe just talk talk a minute about what that, what that, that was. That was and, probably the most amazing thing that ever really happened to me in my career. Um, that day, I was driving my wife to, I don't know, she had a job in Brookline, I think. And I was, of course, she wouldn't drive into Boston, so I had to drive her every day. So on this particular morning, you know, the morning of 9-11, I had the radio on, and I heard, heard of the there was a plane that crashed into the building, and I had remembered that, you know, there I think back in New York, a, a few years back, there was a small plane that had cracked into one of the Empire yep. State Building, I think it was, and so I thought, you know, well, that's another crazy pilot cracked into one of the buildings, but on the way back, the second building collapsed, and I said, oh my God, something is really afoot. When I got back home, there had to be, I'm not kidding, maybe 10, 12 phone in my mess, message thing was had lit up with a, at least a, a dozen or so uh, messages. People, editors saying, get, get, we need something right away, you know. And I had no idea what, I didn't, wasn't even quite sure what happened. But I knew it had to do with New York and it had to do with the buildings and all. And uh, at that time, I had something called a morgue, you know, an artist morgue, uh, which it was a file cabinet full of uh, different subjects, and one of them was symbolism. And in that, I had a picture of the Statue of Liberty. It was a photograph of the Statue of Liberty with the two buildings in the background. I said, man, that's it. You know, that's, that's the premise to start with anyway. So I pulled that out, and it just seemed to me that the Statue of Liberty reacting to that blow that we took um, was the right way to go. And I just very quickly sketched out the Statue of Liberty, sort of somebody like somebody kicked her in the stomach. And uh, um, and I took that and I ran it up to Danvers. And uh, uh, nothing really happened that day other than, you know, uh, but the next day, my goodness, it had run in the, what, what's the uh, daily paper out there in uh, the Framingham area? Uh, Metro West Daily News. Metro West Daily. Yep. They had run it that day. or the, the next day. Yeah, the next day. And the response from that was just tremendous. People uh, emailing me, you know, because I had my little email address in there. And um, it was amazing. It was maybe 20, 30 responses right away. So, and it just took off from there. It was all over the place. went all over the world, actually, mm -hmm. you know. People in Israeli airport and, you know, in Paris, the cartoon was there. You know, people had gotten it, cut it out of a newspaper somewhere and clipped it up. There was a, one was at uh, the fire station uh, where the Statue of Liberty is. Apparently there's a fire station nearby. And uh, it, it was really something amazing. Then the paper got involved in it, remember? Mm -hmm. We... Uh, we, um, uh, if I recall, that, that you could get a print of it if you made a donation of $5 or something like that. You know how much money we collected? Mm -hmm. It was like ten, twelve, thirteen thousand dollars 13000 And we sent out a lot, of, a lot of prints of that thing, and it was amazing. It is. I mean, I think it, it speaks to how uh, cartoons, they have an impact. They have a tremendous impact. They really do, you know. That's so. That's terrific. Yeah, I'll always always remember that. Well, Marty, I, I, I Dave, did you have any other uh, questions? 
No, no, I'm good. Thank you so much for spending time with us. My pleasure. My yeah, pleasure. It was, it was great having you here, Marty. We're so pleased to have you as our very first guest. Um, everybody, that was Marty Riskin talking about his long and storied uh, cartooning career. And we're going to um, put some of his work up at um, uh, petpeevescomic.com, where we're going to have a special tab for um, the Strip Search podcast. Interesting. One one little point, you know, as we as we go, um, the I have like. Ten boxes full of cartoons. <laughs> I have no, you know, and I approached the Marblehead Museum, and they have accepted oh, all wow. of the Marblehead cartoons, and they have them on file and electronically, and uh, and tons of them physically. So anybody that wants to go to the Marblehead Museum, you can see a twenty-year anthology. Uh, of Life in Marblehead by Marty Riskin. Well, that's terrific. What a great way to end. Uh, thank you again, Marty. Really appreciate you coming in. Everybody, check back next month. Um, and in the meantime, uh, enjoy your uh, Sunday funnies. <laughs>